That'll explain that. Good morning! It's the Monday edition of Snowman in the Morning. We are back with you. And thank you for joining us. We're presented by Cleaver Supplements. Pure supplements for when genetics are just not enough. It's going to be a short version today. I got Trace and I coming on the line in 120 seconds. Going to talk um, uh, about Des Bryant being let go from the Cowboys. Yes, Des Bryant, number 88, who I contend has no business wearing the number 88, is gone finito done and thank god a lot of you know my thoughts on des bryant i'll get to those in a snowman's take plus a little bit of news i'm gonna save the nba for tomorrow because uh there's a lot to go over so the top of the first hour tomorrow we'll do all things nba and we will we will cover the NBA tomorrow. Right now, I want to talk a little baseball with my buddy Trey Snide, who joins us on the Cleaver Supplements Hotline. What up, brother? What's going on, my friend? Did you have a good weekend? I had a great weekend, man. How about you? It was good. I wanted to get some golf in, but I didn't, that didn't happen due to the rain <laughs> here in, in North Carolina. Because so, just yesterday, I was wearing shorts and a polo to play some golf, and Today I'm wearing jeans, a pullover vest, and a long sleeve shirt because it's 40 degrees. I totally don't know what's going on there, North Carolina. Man, I totally understand that. How's the family doing? That was doing good. You know, Mama's sick this morning, and uh, but I took Lee Man to daycare, and he's doing good. Good. He's, he's healthy as can be. Walking full time at 10 month old walking. I'm I'm so blown away. <laughs> Trace and I joining me yeah, here. Let's, oh yeah, let's dive. Let's dive into some baseball. Do you believe Bartolo Colon, even though he lost last night, took a perfect game as late as he did? The man can still pitch. Look, big sexy has it going, all going right now. What they like to call him is big sexy. Yep. I don't know why he could do that for the Atlanta Braves last year because he was miserable. Oh yeah. For the Braves, but yeah. Look. He said, just like their catcher, Chineros, uh, I probably said his name wrong. I don't know how to say his name, but the uh, the catcher for the Rangers, said, look, he, he goes out every single day and just loves what he does. He loves playing the game of baseball, and that's what it's all about. If you can still do it, look, Tom Brady's still playing at eight years old. Yep. So why can't he do it? <laughs> now, let's jump from the oldest guy to take a perfect game deep to the youngest sensation, two-way sensation, Shahei Otani. Can you explain this, kid? Well, there was a lot of hype and a lot of pressure coming into spring training. And there are so many teams that wanted to have his services on their roster. And for right now, they're keeping it off of more money. But coming into spring training, again, there was so much hype and so much pressure. He had a terrible spring training, and people thought, was he going to begin the season in the spring uh, or in minors? And, of course, the Angels stepped or kept their guns and said, look, he's going to be our RDH, and he's going to be our starting pitch, our fourth day or fifth day start. And uh, he's shown them that he's still the two-way phenom that we thought he was. The original uh, Babe Ruth, the only other one to do it, he's playing phenomenal. I mean, home run back to back to back. And, I mean, what can you what can you say bad about this kid? Cause you can't. He's pitching great. He has. And what they said on MLB or uh, TV the other day, and I still watch all that stuff. But what they were saying, how normally Japanese pitchers come over and they have a, a sudden kind of something different about their pitching. Either they do it with their legs or do it with their arms or switch all the way back or whatnot. But this guy, he's so fluent with his pitching rotation that people can't pick or pick it up. Because a lot of times they can, hitters, good hitters, can pick up and time the Japanese players' pitches. But this kid, he is just phenomenal. I mean, it's fun to watch. And I know I mentioned a lot about being fun. But, I mean, that's what the game of baseball is all about. It's about having fun and loving what you do. And that's exactly what he's doing right now. 
Speaking of loving what you do and having fun playing baseball, the immortal Ichiro Suzuki, back where he started in Seattle, and still playing at a very high level. Love and life. I mean, the place you started, the place you're going to end your career, there's no better uh, story in baseball than that. I, I love a, a good ending to a, a really great career. I mean, all-time hits leader, what he does, and I mean, what can you say about him? Because he goes, he goes about the game in the correct way. He doesn't complain. He doesn't go out there and wants play more playing time. He does what he does what the manager asks him to do. And again, he's playing at a high level. It's, it's hard to take him out of the, the lineup when he, when somebody's playing like that. It sure is hard to take him out of the lineup. And speaking of lineup, three teams right now that are playing out of their minds: the New York Mets, the Boston Red Sox. And if you can believe it, the Pittsburgh Pirates, look at these three teams just streaking out of the gate. Well, with the Pets, I, I, can, I saw the Red Sox having a similar run this, this year because they were, they were really close. They had a great season last year. Of course, they've had the playoffs. But there's something different about this team. With Chris Sale, he hasn't thrown over 93 pitches, hasn't thrown over uh, six innings, 6.1 innings. All season, doing just they're keeping them relaxed and calm and healthy going into the playoff. Because of course they're going to be right there. Either the play and the if the Yankees can step up their game a little bit, if they can get there, they're going to battle back and forth. But what the Red Sox are doing with Chris Sale, David Price is doing great. I mean, Mookie, Mookie Betts went out, left the game the other day, so hopefully he'll be okay. But other than that, I mean, they really don't have much of a hole. JD Martinez who we thought was going to be the prize offseason chip for any team, has proven that right now for the Red Sox. But for the New York Mets, I mean, they're playing phenomenal, but how long are they going to be able to keep that up? I mean, they're going to have eventually going to have some pressure with the Nationals. The Atlanta Braves are playing great, even though we're not going to get into that crazy nonsense they had in Chicago <laughs> the other day. And maybe it. Yep. Yep. But their head coach, we thought he was a just a, I mean, a dude. Not even. I'm not gonna say a douchehead, but I think he was kind of over his head the first couple series, and then all of a sudden this Philadelphia Phillies team is just playing really good. So they're gonna have this division in L. East for the New York Mets, the National Phillies, and we're not even gonna count Miami because they're just terrible. Their yeah. prized possession, Brinson, had gotten in the trade during the offseason. He's on. He's one for eighty-three or something. One for fifty-three or something yeah. in that range. Yeah. And uh, so they're they're just struck. I mean, their best player right now is uh, Cameron Maven. Come on now. So, <laughs> other, other than that, we're not even to count him into the count that team in discussion because they're not going to be there. But look, the way the Braves are playing, the way the uh, the Nationals will be once Daniel Murphy gets back, I'm never going to count out the Nationals until they lose Bryce Harper. Exactly. That, then we can start counting them out, which it could happen go to up during next year's season. But the New York Mets, they're going to – we don't know what they're going to do. Right now we can put a lot of hype into them because they're pitching great. But the history shows either injury, the injury bug in the New York Mets always hits either during the season or right before the playoffs. It never fails. So this, this year was the first time ever – since we could, they started picking up these phenom uh, pitchers, I mean, Matt Wheeler, Harvey, Senec- or, uh, Noah Syndergaard, and uh, what's the other kid's name? Uh, anyway, but these are the first time all five pitchers are in the same rotation and as and healthy as can be. The first time. Look, this team last year coming in, we thought they had the chance to be the Atlanta Braves of the uh, – 13, 14 division straight uh, championships because Tom Gladden, Greg, Greg Maddox, and John Stoltz, City Guard, no, or, uh, and Harvey, we thought they were going to be phenomenal. DeGrom, that was the thing. Excuse me. And, uh, but they're all playing great. Uh, we don't know what Adrian Gonzalez is going to continue doing at the first base. He's, what, turning about turn 50, something like that. And, uh, but other than that, they're playing, they're playing great ball, but we don't know what the Mets are going to be in either just in a few weeks because the injury bug shows that they are they have a 
hard time surpassing that injury bug. But expect the uh, the Red Sox to be there all year long. And my projection is they're probably going to be about 100 and 510 wins this year. It's going to be a, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch indeed. And going to introduce a new segment before I let you go. Um, you know, Trey's going to join me every every Monday here on Snowman in the Morning as we're going to introduce our stud of the week and our dud of the week. It could be a player. It could be a team. Tw- uh, tweet us your choice for our stud and dud MLB, uh, our MLB stud and dud of the week. You can do so at SIT Morning. Use the hashtag stud of the week or dud of the week. Here we go, Trey. Who's your stud of the week this week? Look, I'm going with uh, Ozzy Albies from the Atlanta Braves. And, of course, that sounds like a homer pick. <laughs> it is just, he is phenomenal. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. The way that he plays the second base position reminds me of a younger Altuve from Houston. And the reason why I say right. that is because he's, he's, not, he's not above, he's like five, eight, five something in that range. But, and I'm sorry I don't have that the exact height, but the way he plays it, he played during the, the Colorado series and even the Chicago series. Leads off with a home run in that fiasco the Atlanta Braves had the other day. But, um, with, and against Quintana, which is not a small feat. But the way that he goes about playing the, uh, the second base position and getting so much better at the plate, more focused, more, he's got so much more power than we thought he was going to have coming up. And he's just a great great player. And you tune him up with Danny Swanson, who is batting three fifty eight right now. Last year, he was batting one eleven at the same time. And so you can tell during the offseason, both of these players have done a great, great job of getting themselves ready. Look, Ozzy Albies was the 2017, or 2016 um, Offensive Player of the Year in the minor leagues. And so he's there, but he's never had the full potential power that he, look, he has five home runs right now. He second to Bryce Harper in the National League. So he that is my stud of the week. And I don't think that name you're gonna you're not gonna forget that name for years to come if he continues getting better and better. Well here's my stud of the week and it's big sexy Bartolo Colon flirting with a perfect game into the eighth inning. And even though he lost, I've always been a fan of of Bartolo Colon from his early days with the Indians and then a couple of years ago with the Mets where he hit his first career home run, and that was a sight to see, and I loved watching that. But, you know, you got to give it to Big Sexy. He took a perfect game into the eighth inning. Yeah. I'm okay with it. That's a great pick. I mean, Big Sexy is Big Sexy. He has fun doing what he does. He he just he smiles every time he, he's out there pitching. And that play he threw behind his back with that little small little swinging butt yeah. that he had with the Vets. I mean, one of the greatest plays I've seen by a pitcher ever. All right, let's flip the so, coin. Let's flip the coin. Who's your dud right. of the week? I'm going to go with Carlos Stanton. Uh, and the reason why, because, again, he's a $200 million player <laughs> that the Yankees picked up. And that first game... You know that he's going to be he's going to be what he did last year and hit all these home runs. But now you are Yankees, but coming to the New York Yankees it, after that first game, it, he struggled a little bit and he strike. Look, I saw just the other day that there's just he had 16 strikeouts. 16. Yeah. He's going to be able to win a ball game if if your main feature during the during the off season free agency. Striking out that much. If he can calm down, now finally you've got the field the Yankees way. Start hitting the ball. Look, there's just then, another, what, six, eight, six, uh, the tallest players in the outfit for a team, mm-hmm. what, 19 pieces? And look, Stanton's because I want all huge Stanton fans. And in my, I kick myself every day last year. Where I have to trade a fantasy football, fantasy baseball, where he wanted to offer <laughs> Stanton for you know Cespedes from the New York Mets, who got hurt the rest of the season. I kick right. myself every day because of that. Right. But it just—he's definitely my dud because once he starts, 
he'll immediately be off that kind of set of pole, but he's going to stay on right now until he stops striking out. And if, if once he's striking out, then everything's going to be okay for the New York Yankees. That's my dud of the week also, and John Carlo Stanton. That's Trace and I talking baseball with yours truly to kick off the show. And got a couple more things for you before we get out of here on this express edition of Snowman in the Morning. But you can catch Trey and I talking baseball every Monday going back to 930 Eastern time. We'll spend about a half hour catching you up on all the happenings in Major League Baseball. We'll have our stud and dud of the week. And we'll continue to tell you everything that is going on. Thanks a lot, my friend. I appreciate the time. This is Snowman in the Morning where true sports talk lives. Next! What? Are you kidding me? You know what? I'm the juggernaut, bitch! So, Des Bryant, on Friday, was cut by the Dallas Cowboys. And so many people think he's going to land with another team. I am not one of those people, and I will tell you why. I really do not care if Des Bryant signs somewhere else. I really don't care if he's not signed by anyone else. Because since he's was with the, and I'm not saying it's because he's been with the Cowboys. I have watched his performance over the years, and it, I say since year three or four has declined. I don't remember a time, and maybe partially, uh, maybe partially because of me, because me not, you know, watching much of him, I just wasn't impressed with him. I just wasn't. You hear so much about him off the field. You don't hear much about him on the field, like making big catches, like actually being a team player, not being a cancer in the locker room. I said when he was with the Cowboys, I said when he joined the Cowboys, he had no business whatsoever, none. Wearing the number 88. Because to me, in cowboy lore, the number 88 represented two people. Drew Pearson and Michael Irvin. Great, I beg your pardon. Great, great receivers. Great receivers in their own right. Des Bryant does not belong in that pantheon. Des Des Bryant does not belong in that category. He did not does not deserve to wear the number 88 as far as the Cowboys are concerned until he really, really gets himself together and gets out there and works hard and becomes a great receiver. And I'm not talking about just making the difficult catches. I'm talking about, I know you're not going to catch every ball thrown to you, but just being a leader is one of the biggest things I have a problem with when it comes to Des Bryant. One of the biggest. And I truly hope that no one signs Des Bryant unless they put a clause in the contract that he has to shape up off the field. Now, I'm not saying that he's gotten in all kinds of trouble, but there has been a few controversies that have followed him. You know, even his tweet, let's throw up the X, let the search be again, or something to that nature. I know I got that wrong, and I'm I'm not quoting that verbatim. But it's just that. Now, I may have missed a couple, but he didn't even say thank you to the Cowboys for the time that he was there. I don't like that. I really don't like that. Now, maybe I'm being biased, according to a lot of people, but I don't care. I have not seen Des Bryant step up in a huge game where he was needed 
to command any kind of respect from me. He just hasn't. He just hasn't. And I've always said, and I will continue to say, if there's a player that is so heralded, I have to see it, and it must be proven to me. Des Bryant has not done that. There are quite a few players in different sports where I put that distinction with. Des Bryant has not proven to me to be that big-time receiver. He's had many a chance with the Cowboys to become that. He's had many a chance with the Cowboys to develop into that. He hasn't. And don't I don't think he will. Now, yes, I believe there are going to be some teams clamoring after him, going after him, wanting to sign him to be the number one on the roster. But let me ask you this. Do you really think, do you really think that Des Bryant commands that kind of attention, that kind of coverage, and that kind of willingness from a team to sign him? I don't think so. I haven't thought so for a long time, and I will continue to say the same thing. I do not think Des Bryant is a big-time receiver. Although the team that signs him, they're going to um, pay him the money to be a number one receiver. And he's not going to be that. He's not going to be like Jordy Nelson who goes out and catches almost everything in sight. He's not going to be like the, the great Hall of Famer Jerry Rice or the Hall of Famer Michael Irvin that preceded him in wearing number 88 and just goes out and plays football and is a leader in the Cowboy, is one of the leaders in the Cowboy locker room. A leader to me in the locker room push, helps pushes his team to greatness. That's Brian and the Cowboys, and I know I'm borrowing a line from another radio host. But as far as I'm concerned, except for one season, and that was because of Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott playing out of their minds in their rookie season, the Cowboys have been mired in mediocrity, and Des Bryant has been a part of that. You're supposed to step up and be a leader. They counted on him to be a leader. I feel they should have let Des Bryant go a long time ago. A long time ago. Now, I will say once again, if a team steps up and wants to pay him, then he better play like it. If he starts to play like it, then I'll change my opinion. End of story. But as far as Old Snowman's concerned, I'm not impressed with Des Bryant. I never have been impressed with Des Bryant. And Des Bryant, to me, is not a number one receiver. Period. This is Snowman in the Morning, where true sports talk lives. Next! What? Are you kidding me? You know what? That makes me mad. Let me get down to business and let me welcome the young man that I have on the line. And his bio goes like this. He spent some time with the New York Jets and he just released a he just released a uh, children's book. Uh, Virginia graduate, Virginia Cavaliers, Stetson University defensive backs coach, author and founder of Taysan Mason Loves the Kids Foundation. And since that, and with that alone, we welcome Tavon Mason via the Cricket Wireless Hotline. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on board. Man, thank you for wanting to come aboard, my friend. I mean, had a chance to uh, peek at your bio, but this book really got my attention. Tell the folks how you got started with doing this book. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy, and I know you pretty, I'm pretty sure you come across that in your line of work with being on Sports Network. You just come across somebody that just sparks, that, that creates a spark. And um, me and Ashley Henderson, the co writer, and um, she's the CEO of uh, DT Libby Publishing um, Company. Um, we came across each other on Instagram because she saw what I was doing with the foundation. And she asked me, if you wrote a children's book? And it's funny, I did. I wrote one just sitting at a computer and wrote one and didn't know where to do it, go with it. And also, here she comes, a children's book author. And I forwarded it to her, and they loved it. Her and the illustrator loved it. And 
to you, like, you know what? I want to go out on a limb and start my own independent company, and I want you to be my first author. And I thought it was, I thought it was an April Fool's joke. I like, okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> like, and next thing I know, <laughs> she started sending me, you know, like, like pre drawings, like that the rough draft sketches of Kayvon does it all. And then a few months before, about a month before December, not November, October, a couple of months. Next thing I know, I get a proof in the mail, and it was just a proof of the book. And I told her, you know, verbatim, like, you're going to make me cry here. And just to see everything come together. And she's like, you know, this should be the first book, Kayvon Does It All. And the awesome thing about the book is it has a lesson with it. Um, basically, don't judge a book by its cover. And some of the things you can see on the cover, the pair of slippers, the um, report card, the book, um, all that is what I do through the organization and what I believe in. The pair of slippers, I'm actually um, on my fourth year doing a character slippage house and where I go and visit at various children's hospitals and surprise the kids with slippers just to make them comfortable for the time being of being in the hospital. Um, the report cards, I believe, heavy in education. And just like you said in the intro, graduating from University of Virginia. Um, and the books, I do a book reading tour every summer. So she was like, this is something that should go out and it has an awesome story, and the one thing I love, and I always push it, it comes with a built-in coloring book with it, so the kids get to read and also have fun at the end of the book. I may have to be a big kid at heart again and, and, right. and get the book myself, <laughs> man. Listen, who hasn't read a book that had some coloring in it? All right, right. we all had we all had that growing up. I know, right. I, I, exactly. I know, I did. Um, with the NFL for a time, they had a membership club, and you can like color different pictures in it of your of your favorite teams and mom yeah. and dad mom and dad made me a member of that club i was a member for three years so how can you not love how can you not love stuff like that what got your fo- right. what got your foundation started Tavon mason loves the kids foundation i absolutely love it i love the name of that mm-hmm. foundation i had a chance to take a peek at the website before we came on this afternoon what got that what got that foundation started for you um, what got me rolling um, prior to 2011, like the summer of uh, of 2010, um, I started kind of like getting out there, pushing the brand and really using the fact that I played in the NFL because me, I've always been a humble guy. So once I got finished, I just came back home and started working and started coaching a little bit here and there and tell somebody like, you, you know, you played in the NFL, even though, you know, you had two short stints preseason you still were in there and that's something big. And I never took it as that. I just took it as well as a job or I'm coming back home and do what I need to do. And my first visit was to a children's hospital, Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital. And then I did a semi-sports fit day at a camp here in Baltimore. And then in the new year, I did my actually in 2012, did my actual first sports fit day. And the thing that made me push that mission of getting kids active, promoting fitness and education uh, my very first first school was a young man. Uh, is in the, it was in the fourth grade, and he weighed he weighed close to 180 pounds, Brian. And I was like, you know what? My mission is going to push kids to be active and do sports fit days. So that jump started it. Doing sports fit days in the summer of 2012, I did my first own health expo at my high school, Willow High School. And then that the end of that summer came with uh, contacting University of Maryland Children's Hospital and jumpstarting a slipper drive. So it's been building since 2011. Like I mentioned, uh, we on our fourth year of doing a slipper drive, and we actually expanded the slipper drive outside of Maryland. December 29th, uh, myself and my foundation coordinator, Connie Pension, we actually traveled down to the Children's Hospital, the King's Daughters down in Norfolk, Virginia, for our first out-of-state visit and visited children there and gave character slippers. And we just continue to build from doing the slipper drive to my third year of doing that visit to the is a woman and children's shelter here in Baltimore County, our third year visiting there. And um, like I said, doing our book tour, reading tour during the summer. And the crazy thing about the reading tours, I read to the kids, but I have them doing fitness in between. So I just jump started doing that and doing other things, whether it's speaking to high schoolers, speaking to middle schoolers, um, even speaking to college students and even coaching in college now so i carry it over in every arena that i go in that is absolutely wonderful speaking of college let's have a little fun here with our guest uh tavon mason joining us here on the premier edition of the arena sports net sunday spotlight 
here on Arena Sportsnet Radio. Go to arenasportsnetradio.com slash listen to hear all of our great programming live and in replay on Arena Sportsnet Radio and Arena Sportsnet Plus. This premier edition brought to you by Starbucks of Valparaiso, Indiana. You got to tell me, you played at Virginia, playing in the uh-huh. ACC. What was it like? What was it like playing at at UVA and playing with that ACC competition? Man, it was awesome. It, it's still to this day that uh, my first time because I redshirted my first year and then my redshirt freshman year. Um, we had a couple of away games because our stadium was being expanded. Scott Stadium was being expanded, so here I am. We're in the tunnel, and I just remember one of the older guys saying, "Man, it's, I'm telling you, man, it's crazy. It's calm down because you know we walked the stadium before." the fans come in and try to get focused. Right. So once we went back in, Wake Forest ran out, and they like, man, it's going to be crazy, I'm trying to tell you. And we ran out the stadium, and I just stopped. Like, I was a fan, like, oh, are you serious? And it was like, <laughs> like 60, you know, like 60,000 fans there just screaming. You got the the uh, fireworks going off in the background, and the Cavalier on the horse shoots down the field. I'm just like, yes. oh, are you serious? And that so happened to be, the first game I scored a touchdown in uh, on a reverse. Um, I'm taking a handoff from Thomas Jones, a great Thomas Jones, and running to the end zone. Oh, yeah. And from that point on, it just was just amazing being able to travel around to play in Florida State, you know, going out to BYU to be able to play in BYU, and even coming back home to Maryland and playing at the University of Maryland. Um, it was just crazy playing the ACC. I played against um, – Julius Peppers, who's playing the Redskins now. You know, yep. playing against those types of guys is just, just crazy. What was the toughest stadium in the ACC that you did not want to visit? I think I have a pretty good answer, given mm-hmm. what I know about the ACC, but I want to hear it from you. What was the toughest stadium in the ACC to play in on the road? Uh, I say for me, as far as ACC is concerned, I'll have to go with uh, is a is a tie between Clemson, Death Valley, and Tallahassee. I knew it. Uh, <laughs> yep, Clemson and Tallahassee, and Virginia Tech wasn't an ACC that time at that time, but right. they would be the top ranked because of rivals. Um, I tell a story to a lot of the kids that I work with in the school I work in, and I was a tell them. I remember coming sitting on the bench after offensive play at Virginia Tech. And just seeing a double A battery whiz past our head, and have to sit on the sideline with a helmet on because that must hatred between UVA and Virginia <laughs> Tech. But going to Tallahassee and your bus pull up, and they open the door, and when you come to step off the door, all the fans are, are standing like on both sides of the door yes. and just watching you as you walk off the bus. And I'm sitting there like, I thought it was be like a, a barrier or something, so they won't be this close. <laughs> but they're standing like <laughs> like one foot. Like literally like a foot away from us and our visiting locker room is underneath the bleachers. So they stomping on the bleachers, they curse match you through the floor. <laughs> All you hear is that war chant, you know, and again, the older guys are like, Hey, don't pay attention to the, uh, the team because Florida state lines across the goal line. And when that's the Seminole guy come out and he holds it up, they're walking, and all you hear is that that chant, and you yep. see all them hands just chopping, <laughs> chopping. And when they bring that spear down, all you hear is big boo across. And I'm sitting there like, golly, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's Ninety thousand fans just screaming, you know, that valley ear. the same way. Just in, just in your ear at Doe Campbell Stadium, but- right? You got to tell me about your experience at Death Valley in Clemson. I know that's a nut house. Oh, yeah, it, and, you know, it, just to see the wave, and it, it's kind of refreshing because we actually beat them my um, you know, my last year there at UVA on the road. But, again, you know, when you have this bowl, and then, you know, the, it just filled with orange, that, that orange, and they come running out the back of the end zone yeah. down the um, scoreboard. And it just, it just you know, to be able to witness that going from where I played in high school at Woodlawn to a couple of hundred, um, depending on who we play, might be a 1,000 people to – 90,000, 90, 90, fans, you know, and you're sitting there, you just, you just they yelling everything at you that you can imagine, you know, and, <laughs> and it is it is roaring. Like, it never stops. It, it just goes, goes, goes. You know, it's like the further talks we went in the ACC, and it gets the louder. louder the fans got. And it gets yep. louder. It, it, yeah, it gets it, louder. It gets louder <laughs> throughout the course of the game. I had the pleasure yep. – of uh, seeing a game live at Death Valley in Clemson 
Um, yeah. Uh, some uh, sometime back, I was back. I was living back in North Carolina in the '90s. I had, to, I had the pleasure of seeing a game at Clemson, and I knew about Death Valley from watching it on television. But when you're uh-huh. there, experiencing college football at one of the most tradition-rich places like Clemson. And yeah. 90,000 people are screaming at the top of their lungs in full throat. That is yeah. an experience you just, it's its hard to describe it as a fan. And I know for you, especially as a player. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's ridiculous. So when I see, like, they're going through, like, now the national championship game coming, they're going through the highlights and they're showing the fans. I just sit there and shake my head, Brian. So I'm sitting there like, people, unless you're sitting in that bowl or down on that field, you have no clue. None, what it is none. to be inside that, that little bowl, be inside that bowl, and it just roars. I mean, the volume picks up every time. Man. Keep picking up. Keep picking up. The big uh, – Death Valley is the biggest stadium I've been in as a fan. Mm-hmm. I've called games at the um, – I've called games at the Metrodome before they demolished it in Minnesota. I've called games oh, wow. at uh, Soldier Field. In Chicago, being a native of Chicago, um, I've also conquered Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. But I will say this: there's nothing like a college football stadium in the open on grass. Yeah, yeah. That just absolutely takes your breath away. Tavon Mason talking to yours, talking to the Golden Voice here, as we are kicking off our inaugural edition of the ASN Sunday Spotlight. You can hear us every Sunday. At 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central, and we're just—I'm just having fun sharing memories uh, with Tavon, and we're also talking about his foundation. Tavon Mason loves the Kids Foundation. Uh, his playing at the University of Virginia. What led you to Stetson University and uh, coaching there as the defensive backs coach? Um, uh, me going to um, UVA was pretty interesting because. That my first pick eventually really was um, I came close to going to University of Miami, and what I had to consider <laughs> was yeah I had to consider my parents because then my mom you know my dad like well we won't be able to get to see you play right. so it was kind of like that fine line and being 18 year old being 18 yep. years old and uh, okay I might go to University of Maryland and then the one thing a mom or a parent can tell you especially a mother that have turned you away to go further is, wow, you go to Maryland, I can see you every day. I said, oh. I said no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so I said, I got to take this thing further south a little bit. So, you know, and Virginia was perfect. It was three hours away. Right. Um, they had to call to make sure I was there. Right, and right. just the, the crowd. I think the stadium won me over, knowing that the stadium, my freshman year, I lived across the street from, right across from um, Scott Stadium, but just the way it's set in the middle, and then being able to, you know, uh, witness, you know, things that went on in the state, especially as a redshirt freshman, getting to see Anthony Poindexter play, seeing Torrey Holt play, you know, a lot of those guys, yeah. you know, Joey Hamilton play yep. against, you know, for Georgia Tech. So seeing all those guys play wouldn't have no other way. And after finishing my third year coaching at my high school, I just tried it, you know, and I applied for a position at Stevenson University in Owens Mills, Maryland. Last year, I coached the tight ends, and then this year they made a change and say we want to bring you over to the dark side or to the defense. So <laughs> being helping the cornerbacks was even better because me being a wide receiver, a former wide receiver, I was able to break film down for them, and based off what I saw the receivers would do, I could get them heads up. And you know, our defense finished very high, a lot high ranking at Stevenson this past year, and you know, we even had one corner that had three interceptions in one game. So um, I would sit there and break the film down for the guys and write up my write-up, what I see that the, the, the receivers do, and to try to help the corners out. So I think it was, it was good on both ends. It got me to see it from a defensive perspective and, and give them my knowledge as a receiver on how I can help them in the long run. You mentioned Scott Stadium, uh, your, home, your, yeah. your home stadium, playing at the University yeah. of Virginia, the experience running out of the tunnel and seeing – all the all the fans here's something that a lot of people don't ask about i want to ask about if there were any post-game traditions you guys had with the fans after a victory 
Um, the, the biggest thing is, you know, when you get a lot of the fans that will come to the back of the stadium afterwards. Um, the one biggest thing, and and I, I cherish this moment, is the last year I was there and we played Georgia Tech. And every time the last home game, the uh, scenes were rushed to field. But that game was kind of like, like important. It was special because we were going back and forth between the third quarter and the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter – they scored. Then I ran the hundred yard kick return back. Then they scored. We just kept going back and forth. And it came down to the last like twenty some seconds and we're driving. And we're driving. And it was ten seconds left on the clock and we ran the old school hook and ladder to uh the hook route to Billy McMullen. I love it. it. I love yep. it. And he pitched it to uh Pyramid, Alvin Pyramid. And Pyramid caught it right at his ankles and ran it in and left zero zero seconds on the clock and you just see the field just get rushed. And, um, and, and, and we had a, a, a yeah, <laughs> it was it was crazy. We had a hard season that season, and <laughs> that just put like the ice on the cake with us taking that victory, you know, in the last seconds. And and everybody just bum rushes the field. Yeah, you gotta, you, you, gotta field. Love it. you know how college students are <laughs> yes. ripping up bushes and yep. trying to tear the goalposts down. Tear the goal and, like you know, like like, yeah. Louis, like Louisville did after their upset of Florida State in two thousand two in yeah. Louisville. Yeah, and the yeah, goalposts exactly came like down, that. and yeah. it was rain. <laughs> when scenes like that, and I want to come, I want to come to this, the the situation with Trevon Boykin. I had uh, one mm. of my good friends, Shandy Warner, on uh, my morning show early, uh, well, actually on Friday. You know what can you teach these college kids? that get in the situation where they're playing at a D1 school, a chance to hang out with with your teammates, how can you prevent them from not making a stupid mistake like that? In Trevon's case, and my opinion is this, in Trevon's case, yeah, you made a stupid mistake, yeah, you disobeyed your coaches, you got the punishment that you got, but you also have a chance to finish up strong academically, um, and get ready for your pro day and really make an impression and make them forget the stupid decision that you made. But at the same time, you don't want that decision to come about in the first place. How important is it to make a great impression on those people that are going to be watching you and more importantly, going to be paying you in the future? Right. And it's very important because I I think the thing it is that happens, especially with athletes of that caliber, athletes on all levels, when you're, kind of like in that spot like a lot of athletes don't really understand how big that 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 position is and I'm not even talking about being on the field or on the court but just in general like how big that is and when you're playing that type of football and from hand where you've been at I know you know when you're playing that type of football in Texas like he has that he did you're as soon as you make that choice and I, I told a lot of the high school kids when I coached that once you decide that you want to be a student athlete and you have that word athlete attached to student, your bullseye gets bigger and oh, yeah. the, the, the camera zooms in on you. So no matter what level you're on, if they see you on the sideline or you are in a media guide, you're known. I don't care how little, how small, how big you are, you're known. So a lot of that comes with us as coaches to kind of reiterate. And that's like one thing that's real big for me when I um, – when I my my finishing my my second year with Stevenson is you know seeing the kids as what they are young men but also teaching them like things that I saw that I've learned along the way and not putting a major major emphasis on football all the time but trying to talk to them as them being regular because it's it's tough you know being out there and you've seen that that way because you never really get a break from it you know because right. you always got to be on on cue or on guard but you know he he needs to understand and hopefully like you said that kind of like brought him out the air a little bit because you you get that ego you know i'm this i'm that because what the news are telling you media saying you the greatest this and that so that start to mess with your head and and then put you above everybody but it always something that brings you down but the void that is just being humble and you know what we say when we come off the road with games at stevenson don't go here. Don't go there. We know you want to celebrate. We know you're happy. But if you can, just go home. You know what I mean? And that's like the, the biggest thing. It's hard because you want to go out and celebrate. But if this is something that you really want to do, then, you know, party when you need to party, when it's time to party. But right now, you know, handle your business. So it, it just 
so hard because a lot of our, our young athletes are thrust in the limelight so quickly because of their talent. And it's just making that, that decision, you know, what's more, what's, what is more, more important, the, the partying now or to continue to grow and get better. So it just, as coaches, we got to do, make sure we do our job. Wait, just keep helping them, keep helping them, keep building them up. Being uh, a former student athlete and being a coach right now, let me ask you this. When big-time uh-huh. athletes that are recruited in high school all the way through, uh, gave you a good example in Trevon Boykin, uh, let me throw another mm-hmm. one at you, Jameis Winston and what he's doing yep. right now. Let me go a little old school. Michael Jordan, James Worthy, mm-hmm. uh, Ralph Sampson, uh, athletes like that that are, as you said, thrust into the limelight mm-hmm. at a very early time in their life. Do you think it's tough on it? Do you think it's tougher on them now to make the correct decision to continue to handle their business and wait till after the school year to to party and everything, or does the pressure kind of uh, get to them early? I think with some of them, it gets to them early. Um, like you say, like the Michael Jewels and the Jane Ware, I think they handled it. They handled it a lot better than the names you name, like Boykins and Winston name, because that that ego when you have i guess is is more so the people they have around them so when you have people around that keep telling you you're the greatest you the man you this you that you this right. you that once you that keep getting drilled in drilled in you know what i'm invincible so a lot of those guys believe that and they believe that carries over into the real world and because of what you did on saturday or you know and what you're doing every year or the 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 wars the accolades that you get they think you know, you're exempt, you know what I mean? And I believe it's been a, a super change with stuff happening where before, yeah, a lot of athletes would get off with stuff, but I think it's starting to tighten down because, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, that's what you did on Saturday, but you still have to be a role model or model citizen after that because you have younger people looking up to you, you know, wearing your jerseys, you know, and wanting your autograph. And when you sign that autograph, um, that's more than just you signing the paper to get somebody out your face. They're going to cherish that, and they want to see what else you're going to bring. You know, and it's kind of like when Charles Barkley has said, you know, I'm not a role model. And I used to, I used to like, agree with him on that. But, I, you know, I started thinking once I got started into my foundation and going out and speaking to people, if that's the kind of like the road you want to lead, you got to be able to accept what's going to come with it. And that what comes with it. There's people looking at looking at you for motivation, looking to you at, for inspiration, and wanting to wanting to be like you. So once you have that slight hiccup, yeah, it, it makes people feel bad because they see you as being like a superhero. Tavon Mason, an absolute joy and a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Thank you so very much for the time. Thank you very much for having me, Brian, and keep it up. Hope you hopefully you get that voice back. You know, and I'm definitely <laughs> going to tune in every weekend. I appreciate it, my friend. Wrapping up here on this Monday, I want to thank everybody for joining us on this Express Edition of Snowman in the Morning. The podcast will be up 90 minutes from now. And as always, I close with a final word, but this is time I'm going to get a little bit personal. You are judged by the way you handle situations, and I can honestly tell you a recent situation came up and I did not handle it well at all. My emotions got the best of me. I didn't, I I, I became someone who I wasn't. I didn't handle the situation well at all, and it cost me. It cost me dearly. And it forced me to take a look at myself in the mirror and say, who the hell are you? Why the hell did you do this one wrong? Where did you go wrong? And I placed the entire blame on myself. I won't get into any specifics, but people who have been talking to me recently know exactly who and what I'm talking about. I place the blame squarely on myself. I place it on myself. And I know I'm getting very personal, but anyone who knows me knows I talk about any and everything on this show, especially sports related. But, you know, it's this it's it's this time where I reflect and you know what? 
In the last two years, there have been some situations I handled incorrectly. Out of emotion and not logic. Not taking other people's feelings into consideration. At all. I did that. I handled it wrong. I absolutely handled it wrong. Instead of asking questions, I thought I'd be able to jump in and fix everything. And, you know, that's just not my job. That's not how pops raised me. It's not how mom raised me. It raised me to be understanding, a gentle giant. And I wasn't. I was selfish. I was absolutely selfish. I was selfish. I was stupid. To a borderline point, I was crazy. My emotions got the best of me. My depression got the best of me. Everything got the best of me. And I wasn't myself, and I couldn't be myself around the people that I lost. Period. And I apologize to them. I know I'll never see them again. Man, it's for the best that I don't. But it's really forced me to take some accountability. And now one tear was shed. And that's not me being heartless. That's just me realizing, you know what? You can't keep going on this merry-go-round forever. You can't keep up this vicious cycle. Sometime, you're going to have to just step up and become better at handling things. You're going to have to become better. That's what I tell myself every day. And it's the truth. I have to step up now. Because it's, 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 it's only me. And I intend to. So to all the people that I've hurt in the past with my actions or with my words, I sincerely apologize. Now, a lot of people are not going to believe that, but I do. And I mean it from the heart. I really mean it from the heart. A lot of NBA tomorrow. And some hockey later in the week. Got to get out of here. Snowman out. Come on down.